to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to War and Peace. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction. Righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And tonight is Thursday, December 22nd, in the year 2022. Today's bended knee was canceled because I was working up at the new property, setting up the new podcast room. And tonight is the first official podcast from that location with the new one gigabyte internet, fiber optic, super duper internet speed. So it's awesome. Hey, Patriots, before we begin tonight, make sure you're taking care of your family. Make sure you've got a defense plan. That's why we've got things like iTarget Pro. You know how passionate I am about our Constitution and especially the Second Amendment, but just as passionate about being responsible and protecting my family. I discovered the perfect way to train with your firearm in the comfort of your own home and continue to improve your skills. It's called iTarget Pro, and this system is a game changer for me. All I did was download iTarget's proprietary app, load the laser bullet into my firearm, and start training. The system develops muscle memory, reaction speed, sight alignment, trigger control, and much more. Right now, save 10% plus get free shipping with the offer code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, when you go to itargetpro.com. With the cost of ammo through the roof, this is the perfect solution for you. That's the letter itargetpro.com, itargetpro.com. The offer code is BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. This is something you definitely need. Pro, you won't want to miss it, so... Patriots, in another crazy day of news, as you can imagine, we're going to do a little bit of that, but I've got some interesting stories to read, too, once again in our history of times of war and peace, which I think is really the whole point of tonight's show anyway. But if you haven't heard, you've the testimony of or the trial for Carrie Lake against Katie Hobbs and the stolen election in Arizona is going on, consuming the news cycle as the omnibus bill was quietly passed in the midst of all of that with more spending for more special interest programs that will ruin this country faster than anything we can possibly imagine. Much of this is just all hand puppetry, and we know it, as they continue to just inundate us with unbelievable amounts of information and the the levels of deceit just continue to unravel. TikTok finds out, announced today that it was spying on journalists, and I'm not really sure why that's a big deal since 90% of our journalists are communist traitors anyway, but apparently that's something to worry about. I would be more concerned about TikTok and its relationship to the U.S. subsidiaries and what it's doing for children, but now journalists are in the news. But that doesn't matter because the Biden administration has also announced that it's going to make statues to honor great journalists. In other words, statues to honor the great propagandists of our time so that we can never forget who managed to sell our country down the tube and to cause the greatest destruction ever known to humanity simply by doing information warfare and letting people choose on their own 
their own destiny and their own demise. This is quite a time indeed. Now, and one other thing, and I'm I'm going to give a hard pitch here to Mike Lindell. He has been funding Kerry Lake's election. And so I am going to just, as you know, I've supported my pillow now for going on almost was well, a solid year and a half, if not two years, huge proponent and believer in everything they do and what Mike stands for. I do encourage you to continue to do your shopping for the best home products there at my pillow, mypillow.com forward slash bards, mypillow.com forward slash bards. All those dollars go to help fund Mike's efforts. They're great Christmas presents. They're just great quality products for the home. And they're definitely something to keep going, continue to push. He has funded more things out of his pocket for this nation and is truly living as a CEO with a Christian and Jesus love in his life would. We just don't have enough of him. So support MyPillow.com. Get on over there. It's no games. We know that they have great products. We know that it has great cause, and it's an activist company for the conservative cause and the liberty cause in this nation. MyPillow.com forward slash Bards promo code Bards. Now, Patriots, there is, we are seeing right now the true revealing of the arrogance of the elite. They, in my opinion, feel that there is no stopping them and that there is nothing that they should worry about other than show you who they really are. This really shows pretty well right now what happens in in uh, New York. You have New Yorkers that themselves are suffering from this time of declining economics, the squeeze on jobs, the COVID restrictions. But don't worry, because Albany, New York, where the legislatures are and the Democrats are there, have all raised their, their pay by 29% which they are now the highest paid legislatures in the United States. This is exactly what you can expect from an elitist tyranny that we're dealing with. This is little more than an oligarchy and with, with corporate partners. They don't see us as anything other than chattel. And it's, again, a necessary thing to remind ourselves that there is no fixing this system through the system. These people are not morally capable of correcting their way. They're just debased. And in that case, they have probably need a nice little seat down in Gitmo somewhere and a noose on a and a rope and a noose down there as well if they visit Gitmo. Now, in the ongoing levels of insanity, McDonald's has now introduced its full autom- automated McDonald's stores in Texas. Texas, you are so special. Now, when you get your food that's not really real food and the beef that's not really, really beef, you don't have to worry about real human hands touching it anymore. It's all robotized, and they can simply go through a pickup window or a drive through window, and the food is automatically pushed out to you by robotics and conveyor belts. This is wonderful. This is to be expected. McDonald's' real business is its real estate. It's one of the largest, if not the largest, real estate companies in the world when you add up all of the real estate that they own on every one of their spaces of their stores, that's their real business and that's their real value. But the food part, that's just there to help make America sick again. That's just there to ensure that your children will become addicted and fat to all those chemicals that they put in there and that their health expectancy will decline, which is right in line, by the way, right in line with the CDC's latest announcement. And I don't know if you heard this today. But this is quite amazing, in fact. The CDC has let everybody know that at the birth rate now in the United States, 
the birth rate in the United States is now declined to where we're down to an a life expectancy of 25 years. Yeah, 25 years for life expect, expectancy. Hope that makes you feel good. I mean, that's that's that benefit of that mRNA vax. It's helping us so much grow as a as a nation, get stronger, become better, making America great again. All with just that inject injection. So, this is they consider this an all time low. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. In Afghanistan, at the peak of the war, with no doctors, with Families getting ravaged by Taliban and by Mujahideen. And all the warlords fighting and killing each other. I believe their lowest point of life expectancy was about 40 years old. So, yeah, this is a little low. This is below third world nation stuff. I think that puts us down about level of Tijuana. And maybe like Timbuktu, somewhere in the middle of Africa. We might even be have a life expectancy somewhere equivalent to one of the warlords in Africa that decided to like slaughter all his people. And there's a number of those, so just take your take a name. But that's not too bad, huh? Twenty five year low. Yeah, that's all right. Don't worry, patriots. mRNA is working. It's right there for you. But in the meantime, Alan Dershowitz is there for your rescue. He's there to tell everybody that. The J6 panel, the January 6th panel's referral of Trump is clearly unconstitutional. <laughs> I hope you feel better because I know that made me feel better. I was like, oh, yeah, thanks, Alan. We're right there again, being that great attorney you are. I'll tell you. In the meantime, men are fleeing the workforce, and it's got people scratching their head why. Don't know why you'd want to possibly leave the workforce, considering that all the rights now are going to trans, minorities, and women. Um, and then they're wondering why men are fleeing. Good on the men. I would literally hand them the keys and leave and go get yourself a ranch, a four-wheel drive, and some guns and leave it all for the rest of them because I'll tell you how it's going to go. Women, I'm sorry, this is probably going to step on toes, but women can't leave this nation. You're too emotional, you don't have enough clarity and thought for large strategic planning, and you need a man to balance out all of that infighting you do so well in your groups. And that's the truth. The fact of the matter is that there's a reason nations were led by men. It isn't to say women are incapable, but it's not their primary role. But this is exactly what they want, because if we want more drama and more silly things, bring in the, men, bring in the women and reduce the men to be subservient. You will watch things go to pot in a hurry. So, just saying. Stock markets are all over the place. There's maniac stuff going on in the trades. There's been some unexpected buybacks that have halted the markets from flying out of control, which means somebody is out there trying to regulate this and keep it from spinning out of control. And to probably the best news of the day, there's now beginning to ask questions of whether universities are doomed in the United States. Let's hope so. They're running out of money. They're overpriced. They're using the student loan program to overinflate their value and to continually raise costs because they know that they're able to create a, a crook, crooked system where once 
people take go to school and take the student loan debt, they are indentured to that debt for the rest of their lives and even beyond. It's the only debt that is issued in the United States that cannot be discharged at any time. And the burden of that debt with the selling of the idea that you have to have a degree to get a job is, a, is just fool's game. All of this was designed specifically to entrap youth into a slave debt program, and it has worked very, very well. So the question now is quite literally, what are they going to do? And there is a continued shortfall of men at universities. Oh, we're back to that same problem again. Looks like men are going into trades more, which is good. And they're trying to, I would say, we're probably looking at the demise of the university system if this trend continues probably in the next 10 years. And you will find no tears for that here. So in other stories and other news, let's begin with a story that goes takes us back to World War I. Because the one thing that we're dealing with right now is a complete insanity of our world. Our government's out of control. Our government's a tyranny. We have the FBI yesterday that basically said that all of America's Americans are conspiracy theorists. Why? Because they were believing things that were being put on Twitter. That it was their responsibility and right to work with private agencies to limit what was being said online. That's literally the FBI's summation of their of the accusations and proof more than accusations the proof that they've been involved in election rigging in fact today it came out that in arizona one of these senior election officials was actually an fbi operative so what we're really starting to see is the fbi as we have known but we're starting to see a bigger picture they've been very active not only in infiltrating groups creating false flag events doing all sorts of gaslighting being instrumental in the psyop that has been steering america off the cliff and using their infiltration to instigate actual violence in groups and then blaming those groups, using their power to imprison people that refuse to do business with them, the FBI is itself a criminal organization of the highest order. And if, you've ever, if there's ever been any doubt, there probably isn't an agent in the ranks of the FBI at this point in time that doesn't deserve a noose or deserve to be thrown in jail. That's where they are. And I won't, I'm not going to buy these stories that are going around with the Patriot Movement. It's trying to say things like, well, there's good FBI inside. I don't care if they're good. Not at this point in time. That whole agency needs to be dissolved, and every single one of them needs to be held accountable. And it accountable in a hard way. Even things like big rocks to small rocks type chain gang. They all need hard labor at the very least. Because this is the world that the world that they have been part of is the world that's been destroying America systematically and with and with vengeance, quite frankly. So with that said, as we look across our craziness, we really have to start to understand that we're not going to find a solution through the government. We're going to find solutions through each other. So I want to share a couple of stories with you tonight that really do get into the core of that. One of us, one of those stories takes us back to one of the craziest and most insidious wars in our history, which was World War One. And this is the Christmas truce of World War One. I'm just going to read this short article. In the midst of the unrelenting violence of World War One, a ceasefire suddenly swept across vast swaths of the Western Front in December of 1914. Massive amounts of life had already been extinguished in the war's opening months, but there was one event that halted the brutality and bloodshed. 
the famous World War I Christmas truce of 1914. It was the first Christmas of the war. It was a day of it was a day for peace, if only fleeting. On the night before Christmas, Captain Arthur O'Sullivan of the British Army's Royal Irish Rifles was stationed in Rue de Bois, France. He heard a German accent float from across the barracks. It said, "Do not shoot after twelve o'clock, and we will not shoot either." Then. If you English come out and talk to us, we won't fire. One Irish rifleman ventured out of this trench to test the invitation. After arriving back safely with a German cigar as a gift, others made their way onto the still battlefield. No man's land filled with soldiers meeting each other halfway. And so began the unofficial Christmas truce of 1914. By December 14, trench warfare was in full swing, and already there was some 405,000 casualties. Earlier that month, Pope Benedict XV suggested a temporary hiatus for the holiday, but the warring countries refused to create an official ceasefire, so the soldiers took it upon themselves to lay down their arms. The Christmas truce also provided the armies with time to collect their deceased soldiers from the field and bury them. The gesture meant a lot to the terms of respect for the dead for both sides. As so And so, along the front lines in France and Belgium, on Christmas Eve, soldiers heard carols in the distance. German troops sang Still Nacht, Silent Night. And the Allied troops chimed in in alternate languages. Cautiously, more soldiers began to join in in the celebrations. Germans held up lanterns and called to the British, assuring them in broken English that they wouldn't shoot. Instead, they wished them a Merry Christmas. Men from both sides intermingled, shook hands, and shared cigarettes and food. In the words of Captain Robert Miles of the King's Shropshire Light Infantry, we are having the most extraordinary Christmas day imaginable, a sort of unarranged and quite unauthorized but perfectly understood and scrupulously observed truce exists between us and our friends in the front. The funny thing is, it only seems to exist in this part of the battle line. On our right and left, we can hear them firing away cheerfully as ever. So even some even say soccer games broke out during the truce. Historian Alan Wakefield said, if it happened, and there are very few collaborative accounts, there's second, third-hand accounts of somebody hearing of a game going on somewhere. However, you're keeping, if you're keeping score, those who had heard about it happening said the game ended three or two, ended three to two for the Germans. Indeed, historians remain skeptical, but widespread accounts do exist, with some saying that the game broke out between British and German forces near. Yepres, Belgium, while others are said to have faced off in a match near Le Torquette, France, France. And though such accounts may remain unproven, the mythology of impromptu, impromptu soccer matches remains an essential part of the mythology surrounding the Christmas truths of 1914 to this day. Many generals and senior officials are now on board with the overall show of goodwill. 
In some areas, peace lasted until the, fir- the first few days of 1915 without many shots fired. The military made it clear that, that this war was not acceptable wartime behavior. Another holiday truce of this kind was never recorded. Fighting did still occur on Christmas in some areas. Corporal Clifford Lane of, of H Company, uh, Hertfordshire Regiment, explains that upon seeing some Germans emerge from the trenches with lanterns, he was ordered to open fire. The Germans did not reply to our fire and carried on with their celebrations. They ignored us, and we and were having a very fine time indeed, and we continued in our wet trenches trying to make the most of it. He later regretted not engaging in the truce with the Germans. It would have been a good experience, he said. But back in 1914, things seemed magically aligned to allow for some holiday spirit. The soldiers involved in the 19 19- in the Great War were either green newcomers or weathered veterans. They'd expected the fight to be short and done by Christmas. The war wasn't too dirty. The propaganda machine hadn't churned up the seething hatred against the sides. Indeed, the, though attempts were made to enact holiday truces in 1914 and 1916, the war had grown so bitter by then that any ceasefires were short-lived at best. Today, the Christmas truce of 1914 is attributed to the last of the romanticized, gentlemanly soldiers of the era. These men confronted their enemies face to face. Military strategies may have certainly changed, but it's confronting, comforting to know that one on one frosty Christmas morning, adversaries laid down their arms, that they extended hands in a gesture of peace, and however temporarily it may be, they found a truce. Patriots, this is just a good reminder in a real visceral war. Remember, there was 405,000 casualties already in this war. And they still found in this moment a place to find peace and to make a truce. And I find that extraordinary, quite frankly. It's a reminder of just the power of the person and the power of real people. But we see that as they go up in echelons there, the ranks in, in ranks and power and politics, that the hatred becomes an essential part of the determination of what their purpose is. We don't need hatred. We need a lot more peace. And in this season right now, stories like this to me are a great reminder of exactly what is, exta- what is at stake and what we need to be working towards. Our government wants war. Keep that in mind. They want nothing more than to see a civil war on our land. They want to see Americans killing Americans because it makes their job easy. Like every war, once you have a war, people are so viscerally tied into the blood and the pain of loss and the hatred for this enemy. We forget that we're of common origin. And so when this happens, governments enjoy themselves the most. They're able to cover up their debauchery. They're able to divert people from the real issues. If their economy is falling because the governments are embezzling, war is a great thing because it keeps people aligned under a patriotic anthem or under a flag. It allows people to build their artificial tribes to where we can look across at an artificial border that was called nation states, which they created, and we can hate them for no other reason than the color of their flag or the things we're told that they believe. The war of the, the Great War, the World War I, was supposed to be the war that ended all wars. Well, obviously, that was a lie. 
but what it did cost was untold and uncalculated damage that lasted generations. Young men were slaughtered in those fields for stupid things, and literally the trench warfare went on, went on for years. People literally doing the charge across one way, gaining a little ground, and then the next week they'd be charged and pushed back. All the time, people getting slaughtered and killed. These wars were ridiculous, and they were all instrumented by the elite and always for the same thing, to cover something else that they didn't want people to see. So let's fast forward then to World War II, and this is called the Truce in the Forest. And this is a Christmas Eve truce between German and American soldiers during the Battle of the Bulge. Most people have heard of the frontline Christmas time truce in France during World War I, which we just read, partially due to, a, to its retelling in the movie of 2005 movie, Joya Noël. But not many have heard of the small Christmas Eve truce forced upon a handful of American and German soldiers by a godly German woman during the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. In 1973, Fritz Winken told the story of a what young of a young Fritz what, what excuse me of what young Fritz had witnessed as a child in his home on the German Belgian border of a miraculous Christmas Eve. And so it's reposted here. The Truce in the Forest by Fritz Winken. It was Christmas Eve and the last desperate German offensive of World War II raged around our tiny cabin. Suddenly, there was a knock on the door. When we heard the knock on our door that Christmas Eve in 1945, 1944, neither mother nor I had the slightest inkling of the quiet miracle that lay in store for us. It was, I was 12 then, and we were living in a small cottage in the Hurtgen Forest near German, the German-Belgian border. Father had stayed at the cottage on hunting weekends before the war when Allied bombers partially destroyed our hometown of Aachen. He sent us to live there. He had been ordered into the Civil Defense Fire Guard in the border town of Monchot, four miles away. Quote, you'll be safe in the woods, he, he told me. Take care of mother. Now you're the man of the family. By nine days, but nine days before Christmas, Field Marshal von Rundstedt had launched the last desperate German offensive of the war. And now, as I went to the door, the Battle of the Bulge was raging all around us. We heard incessant booming of field guns. Planes soared continuously overhead. A night searchlight stabbed through the darkness. Thousands of Allied and German soldiers were fighting and dying nearby. When that first knock came, Mother quickly blew out the candles. Then, as I went to answer it, she stepped ahead of me and pushed open the door. Outside, like phantoms against the snow-clad trees, stood two steel-helmeted men. One of them spoke to Mother in a language we did not understand, pointing to a third man lying in the snow. She realized before I did that these were American soldiers, enemies. Mother stood silent, motionless, her hand on my shoulder. They were armed and could have forced their entrance, yet they stood there and asked with their eyes, 
and the wounded man seemed more dead than alive. Komatrein, mother said firmly, come in. The soldiers carried their comrade inside and stretched him out on the bed. None of them understood German. Mother tried French, and one of the soldiers could converse in that language. As Mother went to look after the wounded man, she said to me, The fingers of those two are numb. Take off their jackets and boots and bring in a bucket of snow. Soon I was rubbing their blue feet with snow. We learned that the stocky, dark-haired fellow was Jim. His friend, tall and slender, was Robin. Harry, the wounded one, was now sleeping on my bed, his face as white as the snow outside. They'd lost their battalion and, and, was, and had wandered in the forest for three days, looking for the Americans, hiding from the Germans. They hadn't shaved, but still, without their heavy coats, they looked merely like big boys. And that was the mother, and that was the way mother began to treat them. Now mother said to me, Go get Herman and bring six potatoes. This was a serious departure for our pre-Christmas plans. Herman was the plump rooster, named after portly Herman Goering, Hitler's number two man, for whom mother had little affection, and that we, and that we had been fattening for weeks in the hope that father would be home for Christmas. But soon, but some hours before, when it was obvious that father would not make it, mother had decided that Herman should live a few more days in case father could come home for New Year's. Now she had changed her mind again. Herman would serve an immediate pressing purpose. While Jim and I helped with the cooking, Robin took care of Harry. He had a bullet through the upper leg and had almost bled to death. Mother tore a bedsheet into strips of bandages. Soon, the tempting smell of roast chicken permeated our room. I was sitting the, setting the table when once again there came a knock at the door. Expecting to find more lost Americans, I opened the door without hesitation. There stood four soldiers wearing uniforms quite familiar to me after five years of war. They were Weimarmacht Germans. I was paralyzed with fear. Although still a child, I knew the harsh law. Sheltering enemy soldiers constituted high treason. We could all be shot. Mother was frightened too. Her face was white, but she stepped outside and said quietly, Vorleich Weihnachten. The soldiers wished her a Merry Christmas too. We have lost our regiment and would like to wait for daylight, explained the corporal. Can we rest here? Of course, Mother replied with calmness and born of panic. You can also have a fine, warm meal and eat till the pot is empty. The Germans smiled as they sniffed the aroma with, from the open door. But, Mother added firmly, we have three other guests whom you may not consider friends. Now her voice was suddenly sterner than I had heard her before. This is Christmas Eve. And there will be no shooting here. Who's inside? Corporal demanded. Americaner? Mother looked at each frost-faced child, chilled face. Listen, she said slowly. You could be my sons, and so could they be there. A boy with a gunshot wound, fighting for his life, and two friends, lost like you, just as hungry and exhausted as you are. This one night, she turned to the corporal and raised her voice a little, this Christmas night, 
let us forget about killing. The corporal stared at her. There were two or three endless seconds of silence. Then mother put an end to the indecision. Enough talking, she ordered and clapped her hands sharply. Please put your weapons here on the woodpile and hurry up before the others eat dinner. Dazed, dazed, the four soldiers placed their arms on the pile of, of the firewood just inside the door. Three carab- carbines, a light machine gun, two, and two bazookas. Meanwhile, Mother was speaking French rapidly to Jim. He said something in English, and to my amazement, I saw the American boys, too, turn their weapons over to, to Mother. Now, as the Germans and the Americans tensely rubbed elbows at the small room, in the small room, Mother was really on her mettle. Never losing her smile, she tried to find a seat for everyone. We only had three chairs, but Mother's bed was big, and on, its, on it she placed two of the newcomers side by side with Jim and Robin. Despite the stained, strained atmosphere, Mother went right on preparing dinner. But Herman wasn't going to grow any bigger, and now there were four more mouths to feed. Quick, she whispered to me, go get more potatoes and some oats. These boys are hungry, and a starving man is an angry one. While forging in the storage room, I heard Harry moan. When I returned, one of the Germans had put on his glasses to inspect the American's wound. Do you belong to the medical corps? Mother asked him. No, he answered, but I studied medicine in Heidelberg until a few months ago. Thanks to the cold, he told the Americans in what sounded like fairly good English, Harry's wound hadn't become infected. He is suffering from a severe loss of blood, he explained to Mother. What he needs is rest and nourishment. Relaxation was now beginning to replace suspicion. Even to me, all the soldiers looked very young as we sat there together. Heinz and Willie, both from Cologne, were 16. Their German corporal at 23 was the oldest of them. From his food bag, he drew out a bottle of red wine, and Heinz managed to find a loaf of rye bread. Mother cut it into small pieces to be served with the dinner. Half the wine, however, she put away. For the wounded boy. Then mother said, Grace, I noticed that there were tears in her eyes as she said, said the old familiar words, Come, Herr Jesus, be our guest. And as I looked around the table, I saw tears too in the eyes of the battle weary soldiers. Boys, Again, some some from America, some from Germany, all far from home. Just before midnight, Mother went to the doorstep and asked us to join her to look up at the star of Bethlehem. We all stood beside her except Harry, who was sleeping. For all of us during that moment of silence, looking at the brightest star in the heavens, the war was a distant, almost forgotten thing. Our private armistice continued next morning. Harry woke in the early hours and swallowed some broth that Mother fed him. With the, with the dawn, it was apparent that he was becoming stronger. Mother now made him an invigorating drink from our one egg, the rest of the corporal's wine, and some sugar. Everyone else had oatmeal. Afterwards, 
two poles and mother's best tablecloth were fashioned into a stretcher for Harry. The German corporal then advised the Americans how to find their way back to their lines. Looking over Jim's map, the corporal pointed out a stream. Continue along this creek, he said, and you will find the first army rebuilding its forces on its upper course. The medical student relayed the information in English. Why don't we head to Manchot, Jim asked the student. Nine, the corporal explained. We've retaken Manchot. Now mother gave them all back their weapons. Be careful, boy, she said. I want you to get home someday where you belong. God bless you all. The German and the American soldiers shook hands, and they and we watched them disappear in opposite directions. When I returned inside, Mother had brought out the old family Bible. I glanced over her shoulder. The book was open to the Christmas story, the birth in the manger, and how the wise men came after bearing their gifts. Her finger was tracing the last line from Matthew 2, 21. They depart into their own country another way. Patriots, if there's one thing that we learn from the stories of war, is that wars are built by politicians. The hatred is not within us. It's within those that control the information and devise the means which to kill. We're good people. This is a time of the year, and we've had so much division in our nation that we must now find the place to heal. This is a time of season to heal. And as those of all of us that walk with Jesus, that is truly one of the greatest missions that we have. These stories are profound because they're in the most intense of environments. They're the places where there's most, the most vicious of, of violence, and there's every reason to distrust This is where soldiers are following orders to kill one another. And yet a woman in this story and a few Germans and a few British in the other made a choice to do something greater. They made a choice to trust. In a propaganda war like we're in, a psi war, trust is the one thing that gets destroyed. It's eviscerated to the point that we can't hardly look at our own family across the table if they have have an opposing view. We've been riddled with the insanity of this medical tyranny. We've been riddled with the insanity of politics. We've been riddled with the insanity of hate for things that don't matter. America was built on the foundations of people coming here from their nations and leaving behind their tag of who they were to become American, a melting pot of the truest sense. Oh, we were imperfect, of course. We've never been a perfect nation. But we're a nation with a spirit of getting along, of finding a bridge to build unity, and most of all, about putting our foot on the rock of faith that's greater than us. For we're a nation that's built with God on the throne above us. It's those in power that seek to strip that from us, and we can't let it happen. In this season, in this time, no matter where you're stationed, no matter what you're doing, remember that in the hardest points of the war, in Germany and in World War I, in some of the most vicious wars ever fought, a few people found the courage to build peace. Be one of those. Be the legacy, the story that people remember of building a bridge to build peace and trust, to break bread 
and to rekindle the true sense of who we are as God's children. Let us pray. Father, on this week leading up to Christmas, we just pray for the power of those to come together, to cast aside the separation and differences that are not ours, but the, unfortunately the truths that bear our hearts, the falseness of these have separated us from the true sense of who we are. Let us have discernment. Let us have the courage to be calm and extend grace. Let us be truly as you have led us to be greater in the moment than perhaps we even think we can be. Let us extend the branch of love. Let us extend the walk of forgiveness. Let us trust in you for justice and let us bridge peace within our families and our friends. This is a time when we can excel greater and farther than we've ever imagined to literally dispel the evil in a way that it can't, has no way to fight back. Because with the mightiness of the sword of the Spirit and the love in our heart, nothing can keep us apart. So, Father, we pray for peace. We pray for unity. We pray for forgiveness. And we pray for love. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Patriots, the one thing that all of America shares now is an experience of war. It's nothing, if you've ever been to war, it's not something you wish upon people. It's just something now that has happened. This war isn't putting bodies in the, st in the streets. It's not leaving injured people on your doorstep. Because the injuries aren't seen. The blood isn't pouring. It's just that the hearts are broken. We need to mend those. And we can mend those through prayer. We can mend those through a higher walk in life. We can mend those by being truly the great warriors under the banner of Christ. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And God always wins. And he has us here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Merry Christmas, patriots. Have a very blessed evening. I'll see you tonight for, for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view 
Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who moved forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push, we climb, we never give in, we become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray, we stand, we live by the words, in God we trust, we fear nothing, we are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. <laughs> 